So I was going to say, spoiler alert, uh, Santa Claus is real, but he died a long time ago. And as far as I know, he doesn't haunt anyone's houses. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special holiday edition of Irenicast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me is my co-host, Alan. That's me. <laughs> on the first and third Tuesday of every month, we bring to you our perspectives on theology and culture from a post-evangelical lens. Thank you for joining us for another conversation to provoke your progressive Christian imagination. This week, this is a special week, not just because it's the holiday season and we're all doing whatever holiday season stuff we need to do, but we have kind of our first ever like major announcement on the show. Right, Alan? Yeah, outside of us moving to us two, this is actually this is major. This is major. This is bigger than that. And it's it's not like a This yeah, is bigger than that. It is bigger than more that. More exciting. So you may have noticed over the past few episodes that we've had some of our our friends from uh, intersections come on the show and and share a little bit about topics that they're passionate about and that they're experts on and there's been a lot of stuff happening uh, behind the scenes here here at Irenacast since May. And one of the things that we have been talking about and planning since then is the official rollout of three brand new, regular, full-fledged, equal partnered co-hosts in our friends, Bonnie, Raj, and Casey. Bonnie, Raj, and Casey, welcome to Irenicast, not just this episode, but to Irenicast, the entire show. Woo! Thank you. Bum, 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 bum. So exciting. You know what? I don't think people know how exciting it is. If they knew, if you know, if everyone knew you guys like I know you, they'd be excited too. Well, they're to about to. More. They're about to because uh, <laughs> how this episode is going to work. It's going to be a little bit probably longer than normal, which I know everyone's excited about because you have more reasons to escape your dire family situations family. if that's your case. Uh, or and it's, Chris, you know, and it's Christmas. We it's spend Christmas. more time inside. That's right. So. We are going to kind of split this up a little bit. We're going to um, give everyone uh, a flavor of what we normally do, but we're also going to open this episode by kind of telling our story, our new story, uh, as far as where we're going for the podcast, how all this came together. And then we're going to talk a little bit about, we're going to have kind of like a mini conversation about politicizing Christmas and what that means and what other people think that means. And then we're going to finish with a fun uh, Christmas segment that that I'm looking forward to. So let's kind of just start clean. Okay. So this podcast started, this is a little history lesson for everyone. Gather around the fire, everyone, you know, get your... I think uh, it's been a while since we've talked about our origin story. I think it has been. I think it has been. So back in 2009, Alan started a blog called Irenicon, and it was his secret way to rebel against his evangelical context without anyone knowing, without getting fired or suffering any major consequences. Process. I, I'm not a rebellious type. You know what I mean? Sorry, I was I was, pro- I was projecting myself could, on your story, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> that I couldn't talk about in church, and I did it anonymously. And uh, it was like this big thing back then to go public with your name on your blog, and it did have fallout and stuff. But yeah, that that was a place for me to kind of chronicle my journey, which is a little bit horrific because I go back and look at stuff I wrote a long time ago. I don't know if you all have this experience, but like stuff that you've created a long time ago, and you're like, man, that uh. That Alan was sure sure something way back then. And uh, I tried to get Jeff to join me in blogging. That's that's how it started, to write a little bit, because I appreciated Jeff's perspective. And uh, I'm basically hijacking the story because I have to tell it, right? That's okay. I'm used to it. 
you listen to <laughs> right. our past episodes, you'll see this is so. Yeah, so Jeff and I are actually like we're brother in law, brothers in law, and we had our cousin, my cousin Mona Melody, and all three of us have been having conversations of a theological nature for like. I don't know how many years since like 2006 or seven. So over 10 years. And it's the kind of thing that we would talk at Denny's with all of like these youth and stuff. Everybody would fall asleep, but all three of us would continue talking. And so after doing that for so long, we decided to do the, the podcast when she was getting her um, MDiv at Boston and uh, I was studying at Fuller. And so that's kind of how the podcast started. And all three of us come from very conservative different flavors. I mean, charismatic Baptist, but uh, evangelical backgrounds. And we were trying to chronicle where we were headed because it probably wasn't the same place and just have a snapshot in time of what it looked like for people in seminary to move away from where they were at to where they were going. Right. And that birthed what you know as Irenacast. And we went a hundred straight weeks, a hundred straight episodes with the three of us. And uh, after that episode hundred back last year in 2017, we decided to take a break, took a nine month break. And during that break, uh, Mona decided that she would just come back occasionally and not be a regular co-host. And Alan and I started again, just the two of us. And we were uh, a little apprehensive about that, I think, at first. Like, there are a lot that happened in that that year spanned, but we we went forward. We went from weekly to you know twice a month, like we are now, because our schedules were busier and it was just the two of us and we were trying to manage all that. Because once a week is a lot. It was a lot. It was <laughs> a lot. There were so many. There times were some weeks where like, we were just kind of like, oh, we got to do. Jeff this made us record. Out. I did, even though we didn't want to. I was pretty militant was, about making it was sure beautiful. we were there. It was. Uh, so, um, and since then. Uh, we've kind of seen an, an explosion in terms of uh, all you all that are listening. We've had so many great new listeners since Alan and I uh, started doing this alone, but we were also a little weary of doing it alone because one of the things that we had a problem with most in the space, which is, I guess, ironic or hypocritical is that everyone looked like us. It was, you know, uh, you know, bearded white guys headed towards middle-aged and uh, you know, that, that hey, hey, I'm young. Come on now. Well, yeah, I guess so. You are younger than me. But really, we're all headed towards middle age. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> true. We are headed that way. Um, I think that the, the term is brogressive is what some people are saying. Or bromergent. Or bromergent. Yeah, it's either bromergent or brogressive. But everybody in this space, like in the progressive Christian podcasting circles, did look like us. They did look like and us. So you get, you get one perspective. Not that we all have the same perspective, but you get one demographic, and that's very unfortunate. Right. And probably a few months after we started, uh, I guess the beginning of this year, 2018 in January, Alan kept telling me about these people that he met, these wonderful people that he was starting this thing called intersections and he kept saying it's a brick and mortar version of the podcast it's a brick and mortar version of the podcast and if you listen to those last episodes in his little closing spiel and all the things that he's got going on he'll mention i'm doing intersections i'm doing intersections it's a brick and mortar version of our podcast and uh i kept and i'll tell you why I need, I need to say why it felt that way for me because this podcast started as like a, a family thing i mean all three of us were doing each other for so long we were family. We were comfortable with each other. We always opened up before we recorded, not on air, unofficially, with sharing each other's like personal lives for a really long time before we pressed record. And out of that came something really cool. Once Casey put all of us together, Bonnie, Casey, Raj, and I, it felt like family pretty quick. 
and we were we were doing like the the group theology care thing with each other for a good long time. That was was it like a year or something like that before we invited other people into it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was. It was a year. Yeah. And so the reason it felt like that for me is that and to this day we still do it. Whenever we meet together, we start with us for taking care of each other, listening to each other, being really well connected. And out of that comes something really beautiful. So, yeah, it was a like, yeah, it's a physical version of what I felt with uh, all of you. And as an outsider at that time, I can attest uh, back in May, we had our intersections episode, which we've mentioned a lot recently because we've had all of our new co-hosts on various different episodes. We went up to visit in in person, uh, Alan and everyone from intersections, myself and my co-host from Divine Cinema, Adam. And we got there and we met Casey. We did it at his church. And then, uh, you know, I forgot something, of course, which just tends to be happening more often. I needed to get a little SD card to record our conversation. Otherwise, you wonderful listeners wouldn't have been able to hear it. So Adam and I got in the car. We went to Target. And by the time we got back, uh, Bonnie and Raj had joined them. And we walked into the room. And literally, I can tell you, it was this tangible difference in the room, the way it felt. And they weren't talking about anything in particular. It was just the connection that you could, you just walked into. And it was, it was amazing. And I, I remember telling, after we'd recorded that episode, telling Alan, I was like, Alan, you have something amazing here. People in your, that are your colleagues, but also your friends and your family that, that you have that kind of connection that quickly. And, and then that way, like, don't, don't lose don't that. Move, don't move away. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the dream. It really is. It really is the dream. And then uh, a couple, I don't know, like a month or two later, Alan said that uh, I think Raj was asking you about Intersections wanting to start a podcast, right? Something like that. I can't necessarily remember. I remember you being the middleman. Like, I I remember you saying, so uh, Raj said, and everyone jump in. Uh, They wanted to start a podcast and maybe you could produce for them. And I was like, yeah, I'd be willing to. And then I was like, but. You know, you you always described it as a brick and mortar version of this podcast. What if instead of them doing their own thing, we just kind of figured out a way to do something together? And then then you went to them, and then they it said, "Well, how about this situation?" <laughs> and then <laughs> I was like, "I'm going to make these two uh, areas of my life fall in love with each other," and it worked. Right. That, that's totally what it was. This, this is Raj, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Alan would, you know, we'd we'd get around Alan and uh, we'd grill him. Casey, Bonnie, and I would grill Alan. Like, well, what did Jeff think? What do you you think he's going to be interested? And Alan was like, well, yeah, I think so. I think I think he'll do it. Let me let me talk to him and get back to you. So it was totally, uh, yeah. Parent Trap is a great movie. All I had parallel. to do was push the girlfriend out onto the lake in a on a mattress or whatever and get her out of the way so that mom and dad could come back together again. That's what it felt like in my heart. She had to pull some tricks. So then who's the girlfriend in this analogy? Yeah, we, we should probably <laughs> cut that out. <laughs> Why? There's people that are going to take that personally. felt like we just uh, went to a, a dark road. Um, so uh, <laughs> so I've we got would, nothing else but darkness. So right. Alan, Alan, really, as I'm really telling this story, Alan is the sovereign architect of all of this kind of bringing this whole podcast together from the blog to roping me in and, and Mona and, or Mel, and then, you know, roping intersections in, uh, if, if I didn't know any better, this could be some like arch villains secret plan to destroy all of us, but it's not actually what it, what it is. And, uh, I, I know Casey put together us for, 
you know, in a clergy group a, a while ago, it feels more like creating community where I didn't have any. I mean, I we've joked before, this feels like the island of misfit toys, and more and more it feels that way. As more people join us and we get other people who are ministers who have left their context with nowhere to go, it's like growing this island in the middle of nowhere. And yeah, I mean, the I can either feel resentful that I was um, unwelcomed in the spaces I grew up in or create something where we were welcome. And I think... You all having that history, but not just that history, but a passion to like do the good work. Like each of you do amazing work in your lives and, and I feel connected to it and I care about the same things as you do. So it was just a natural, it was a key. You can do no other, you know, or just go at it alone, which all of us have done at different points in our lives. And that's super fun. Right. I think underlying all of it, um, a Renacast intersections is a continued yearning for community. Um, but when, you, when you've broken away from a place, you had to conform to things that weren't right within you. Uh, there's a yearning to be connected to community where people accept you fully as you're in process and that process unfolds. And Alan, you kind of touched on that. The, the nucleus of, of Arenacast in its beginning and its origin was you three knew you had to do something different, but you, and you were also pretty sure you were going to end up going different directions, but you still wanted to stay connected. Right. And exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, it's just an extension of that, that impulse. Right. So, so as a result of all that back and forth that we did through Alan, uh, we got together in August and officially decided that this thing would become one. And, uh, I think Alan and I have talked enough. So, uh, Raj, Bonnie, Casey, like what was happening on your end during this whole, like, process? So, like, we've heard enough of our perspective for like three and a half years. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for me, this uh, this idea of podcasting feels really new and different and exciting. You know, I'm still I, I have to work on imagining an audience when I'm when I'm talking, just because it just feels so kind of it feels sort of one sided. So I know I couldn't uh, be on a podcast if it wasn't with co hosts, because it feels like you know we're putting something out there together, which I think is is the point. So I'm excited about this journey and uh, to see where it leads. And I, and I hope that folks feel like it, it doesn't have to be one-sided, but also that through interaction online and through blog entries and so on, um, there can be interaction. And brick and mortar, uh, brick and mortar conversations, right? Um, I, you know, Bonnie, you're right in saying like, uh, I don't want to be a part of a one-sided conversation, you know, and I think that uh, especially in our work as clergy, we often, I mean, struggle with that feeling isolation, feeling isolated. But I think it's even worse because for many of us, we come to this work after already being isolated in another tradition, right? And so finding each other, not just as clergy, um, but also as ex-fundies, to find the space to be in relationship and fellowship, it's sort of like uh, we have something so good that we can't not share it, right? It's like we need to we need to be able to um, have this platform so that others know that they're not alone. Whether you're a pastor who is, you know, changing your mind about things that you you always 
knew to be true or you thought you did anyway, or, or you are, um, coming out of a tradition, um, and you have had to leave all of your friends, you know, and maybe even family to, to find this new truth or to find the, the more clear version of how you understand yourself and God. I mean, this gets to be the space where people can feel like they're not alone. And that, that is what drives me to want to do this. Um, uh, so that people know that they, they don't have to be alone on this journey. Yeah. I think, um, you know, in, in my situation, in my journey, it was, um, and I, I think I've seen this mirrored or, or resemblances in others' journeys as well, is there came a recognition where, uh, because I couldn't live in that context anymore, I was, I was actually prepared to be alone spiritually. I mean, having uh, a long-term committed partnership was comforting and securing in many ways, but a recognition that, you know what, I might spend the rest of my spiritual life in relative isolation. Uh, and, and that's how bad it was. I think many people actually go into that with, with that awareness. And then when you start to run into people, um, you know, with social media, thankfully now, and, and other things, uh, you start to run into other people who are talking about similar experiences, at least initially for me. I wasn't sure if I could trust it. I was like, yeah, you know, I've, I've heard the sales pitch before. They're just waiting to, to hook me back in and so stayed away. And, and that was a similar experience, actually, when Bonnie first came to me and was like, hey, you need to meet Casey and Alan. And I was like, no, I really don't. Um, because I, I don't know them. I don't really want to jump into this <laughs> trusting relationship that you seem to have developed uh, ahead of me. And so I was very skeptical going into that first face-to-face meeting, actually our first meeting in that pizza place around the corner. And um, you know, by the end of it, I was like, oh, these guys are pretty cool. I mean, they're, they're very authentic. Uh, they're raw. They're willing to be vulnerable. Um, and this shit's messy, but it's actually fun. Uh, doing it together. I, I think that initial meeting went a long way for me to to feel like there's something here, kind of akin to what you talked about, Jeff, witnessing several months down the road when you walked into the room after we had been just chatting, um, that that began to grow. And and I think that parallels um, parallels my own spiritual journey and and the evolution of this relationship. And we, I mean, we love to debate and disagree, but yet we're deeply and intimately connected as friends. And that's, you know, what else, what else could one ask for? I like that you said this shit is messy. It may, I, this is not an attempt to, and I, I feel like I have to say this just very clearly. This is not an attempt to like diversify Irenicast and just get different perspectives other than the white male stuff. Like we were doing important, messy shit together. That was the same thing I was doing with Jeff. And it's like this, I don't know, I guess I'm the charismatic one, right? I feel like there's things happening and orchestrated that connected us. So it wasn't like I reached out to try to find people to add to the show. What Raj just described was happening to us and with us, you know? Right. Not to overuse a term that I think gets overused, but it happened organically. Like this is something that just like this, this happened to merge where all of our lives were going uh, and it's... maybe a better way to say it is I, I had hoped that my journey on the podcast 
would lead to people like you. Right. Does that make sense? That's like a good you, way to put it. You, Casey, Raj, and Bonnie, what, what I found in you was like what I had thought that could happen someday, but I wasn't counting on. Right. And I think that the one, that was probably, I don't want to speak for you, Alan, but that was one of the big catalysts for us deciding to continue to move on after Mona was we felt like there was still something here and that it, there, 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 we didn't know what it was, but if we kept walking down the path that we would, we would run into it and we would figure it out because it, it moved very quickly from like a hobby, from something that we were just doing personally that was personally rewarding to us. And as we were hearing uh, all of your listener stories and where you are coming from, uh, it turned into something different. And I think Alan and I, I don't know, sense that we're given a word from the law. I don't know, whatever you want to call that mystical <laughs> word. From the uh, <laughs> but uh, it was, it, we just knew like, let's just stay the course and see what happens. And uh, we, I think there's a lot of people doing that right now. A lot of the listeners, like there are people all, all around who share very similar stories to us that are just continuing the journey, hoping that there's going to be something at the end of that. I, as I heard you talk about um, your weekly podcast, that that was the foundation of where we are now. It sounds like spiritual practice. It sounds like a spiritual discipline. You know, even though things are messy, you don't give up. You don't give up on the spiritual life. And I think that's that's kind of, a, a, you know, something beautiful about what it is that we're doing here together. But also, hopefully, you know, those who are listening will for themselves, not give up on a spiritual life just because all of a sudden it feels like things are unraveling and that our journey together helps maybe to encourage folks, keep going. It's one step at a time. Keep going. And, and exactly. be, be open right. to other faces, like like not just faces of people, but faces of organizations and structures and gatherings that are not what we would call quote unquote church, right? You like, uh, I was just having a conversation with someone last night about like, They've gone kind of gone through the same thing, and they're talking about this idea of like you run into someone from church, and then they they give you that line of "Don't forsake the fellowship." Da 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 da. And uh, <laughs> I used to have a song about that. <laughs> and that's you know that's evangelical code for you need to go to a church. Um, but you know, no, that's not true. Like it, it can look different. I think that was a catalyst for intersections. It was a catalyst for what we're doing here in the podcast. It's a catalyst for some of the things that we have all been talking about uh, as far as the future of the show and all that kind of stuff. So I think it's, you know, it's about connection. And I've always said, and Alan can attest to this ever since I decided like a decade ago that, you know, uh, there needed to be new models for what church is. I've always said that the one of the biggest problems for me is that spiritual communities are communities that are listening to the voice of one instead of communities listening to the voice of a community. Yeah. And uh, to me, the more voices, the merrier, because then people feel like there's a place that they can disagree. There's a place that they can agree. There's a place that they can feel indifferent and, and be fine with all of those things because those are all present in life in the way that we, we do things. You said, don't forsake the fellowship. And the first thing that came to mind was the fellowship of the ring. The Lord of the Rings. And like, I've never really been into it, but looking at all your faces, I'm like, maybe I'm going to rewatch that because that's what this feels like. Yeah. <laughs> sort of. Hey, I, I, I think sort I have of. a sort of a dear white people moment. Yay. Which, right. which is kind of, you know, Alan, you were talking about we weren't intentionally, you and Jeff weren't intentionally looking to diversify your partners. We I, fell into I, I'm relationship. Worried that, yeah, I'm worried that this sounded like tokenism, the way that well, we're like, 
Yeah, I'm absolutely. Well, I, I want to flip that a little bit because like other than you two, I don't really have any straight white male friends that I trust, fully trust, seriously. And it didn't dawn on me till like, I don't have any straight white male friends, but now I do. (laughs) 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 And and it was was maybe we were maybe we were diversifying our friends. We're the tokens, Alan. We're the tokens. (laughs) Actually, I think, yeah, in in our like circles that we run in as far as with our our denomination, Casey, that might be true. (laughs) Well, and, and and one of the other things that I think is important for particularly straight white men to understand is do not assume that people that you're close to or that you think you're close to are truly trusting you as a friend. Right. You know, I think there are some assumptions and, and I'd say it's the same as a straight male that women who are, I'm in friendship with or, or queer individuals that I'm in friendship with, I might be assuming that we're in a more trusting relationship than we're actually in because it's got to be earned. And when you come, when when you're in the relationship from a place of privilege, there's got to be some real listening and learning, and um, uh, be willing to have your own stuff called out. And and you both have taken stuff from me. I've taken stuff from you around race and other things. Um, and and it's helped form a real relationship. So I I wanted to point that out because there is a real danger that this you know the five of us could look like tokenism at its best um (laughs) and and it's not because if i didn't trust you i wouldn't be here because i ain't getting paid (laughs) right this is not like we're doing we're not doing this you're not you're not bleeping this out jeff (laughs) i'm interested in tolkienism not tokenism tolkienism but so i guess what i'm trying to to convey to the audience (laughs) is these connections are authentic Our, our our fellowship is real yeah man i want to do a whole episode about that your friends may not trust you as much as you think they as you think they do, because they know the other shoe is going to drop eventually. Well, well let's. This is an episode. Let's not turn this into right. a, a planning okay. meeting for the future. So, no, that's great. <laughs> We're going to do an episode on that in the future. Thank you, Raj. That was, uh, that was deep. And I saw right. Bonnie agreed a little bit. I saw that. Well, oh yeah, definitely. I I think. Uh, I I mean I I we talked a little bit about like organic connection. Uh, perhaps, you know, there's something even beyond that, you know, I, I maybe share your charismatic, your charismatic roots that this is a God moment. I mean, really to, to be in the space together and to have been put together the way that we have, um, I don't see it as coincidental at all. And, uh, and I, I am excited to see what's next. Casey, how about you? What are your like hopes as we move forward? Uh, I, like I said earlier, I'm really looking forward to um, continuing these conversations and knowing that they're not just happening between the five of us, but they're happening all over the country, maybe, who knows, all over the world. Um, and people are getting to share in this experience, share in this conversation with us. And whether that be through social media or meeting us in the you know in the brick and mortar versions of these of these conversations i'm just looking forward to hearing more people's stories i'm looking forward to hearing how um this is um how how they hear us and then we can hear them that's what's most important to me um i mean i i value the four of you um deeply and really look to you when i can't find my own way and so um 
to know that this is a trusted relationship that we share and that we get to include a larger audience into that trusting relationship is so beautiful to me. And I, yeah, that that's what I would say. So how this is going to work is we don't know. <laughs> uh, we don't know if we're all five of us going to be on every episode. We don't know if we're going to keep kind of mixing up with the rotation. We're still figuring out the the nuts and bolts of all that kind of stuff. However, I do know that over the next couple months after the first of the year, we're going to have some bonus episodes where you're going to be able to hear from each of our new co-hosts individually. Uh, I'll do a you know quasi interview with them and they'll be able to share their hearts so you can kind of get to know them. So if you have any questions for them, um, after you've heard this episode, you know, email us, send us a message on Facebook. All of that information is in the show notes at the, for this episode at irenacast.com slash 132. And I'll incorporate those into the questions. And then we'll finish that series of bonus episodes with Alan and I kind of giving a retrospective of the, the, you know, a, a more full detail of the podcast origins and kind of where we are with all that kind of stuff to catch up uh, those of you who who maybe you started listening when it was just Alan and I maybe I know that some of you as we've had Mona on or Mel on a couple times since then you you've been introduced to her for the first time so all you've known for the podcast is since 100 you know since episode 101 so those will be bonus episodes those won't be our regular episodes our first regular episode of the new year uh as as Bonnie's official induction into the 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 realm of being a co-host she has a wonderful uh interview that she conducted uh just last week so Bonnie you want to prep everyone for for what they can expect next week or the, on the next episode with a bomb friggin' book. I'm so excited. Bonnie. I know. Thank you. Oh, it was it was such an honor and privilege to talk with Linda K. Klein, author of Pure Inside the Evangelical Movement that Shamed a Generation of Young Women and How I Broke Free. And um, oh, she's such an insightful leader around uh, breaking free from the I guess the chains of purity culture and the purity movement um, within American evangelicalism. She's interviewed so many people and has done incredible research on how that movement has affected really an, an entire generation. So we had a wonderful conversation. I uh, am just really excited that it will be one of the first episodes or the first episode in the new year. We're going to start out. Uh, I rent a cast 2019 with uh <laughs> a bang no pun intended <laughs> oh my god no <laughs> sorry could have no. helped myself could have helped myself we'll put uh we'll put a link if you want to get that book and read it before the interview we'll put it in the show notes you, sh- you should i mean absolutely I've, that book is well written well researched and it's a topic that is extremely timely and if you don't if you haven't really thought deeply about pure how purity culture has affected you i recommend buying it and listening to bonnie's interview Right, especially as we are in the season of Christmas, and we think about virginity and the virgin birth of Jesus and Mary as a virgin. Uh, now is a, an especially powerful time to read that book. Right. So again, well, that'll be in the show notes, and then that that episode, the first Tuesday of 2019, happens to be on New Year's Day. So if you're looking for something to listen to um, while your family watches the boring rose parade or whatever nonsense everyone does on the new year uh participate in irenacast uh so we'll put that in the show notes again at uh, renacast.com slash 132 and uh on the other side of the music we're going to continue this episode and we're going to have kind of our, the first taste of a, of a regular topic we're going to talk about politicizing uh christmas because we have kind of a 
a personal attachment to that particular issue that I think maybe we might have started or Bonnie would have started. So we'll, we'll talk about that on the other side of the music. Stay tuned. So for our first official topic as a newly founded Irenicast cohort of co-hosts, that's, that's too many co's, uh, we're going to, we're just gonna have a conversation holiday themed around politicizing Christmas. And I feel like since Trump has been elected because of his weird connection with evangelicalism, a lot of times we, we get political and I think maybe it's easy for everyone to feel uncomfortable attaching religion and politics but I think that maybe uh, it's actually very biblical to do so. So, Alan, kind of frame this for us. Like, why are we talking about this aside from it being the holidays? Do you hate Christmas, Jeff? Are you are you fighting Christmas? Is that what this is? Yes. All of you politicizing Christmas and making it about something that it's not. Just another iteration of the war on Christmas, and that's really what that's really what people are saying. I mean, Hannity had a big thing where he. Uh, he pointed out that – I mean every single year, right, since we've done this show, there's always been the war on Christmas with like Bill O'Reilly. Rest yeah, in peace. Yeah, can't say no, – He's not, he's he's not just dead. He's not there, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, his show, Rest in Peace, Pieces for the show. Um, but it was always like, you know, the Starbucks is changing their cup. Everyone got pissed at that. You know, the next thing happened. This year, it's two big things. One – all the liberals are angry at Melania for her her like hall of death with her red trees or whatever. And they're like, oh, liberals are just triggered by anything. <clears throat> and then it's the politicizing of the holiday. And that's how they say it. I mean, Hannity tweeted this, had a segment, and he's like, there are these churches out there that are unnecessarily taking Christmas and desecrating it with politics. They are locking Jesus up in a cage and separating him from – the the Mary and Joseph and how dare they tread on this sacred crush, this sacred nativity scene, and uh, and everybody agreed. Why would you mix politics and religion? I don't want to be preached at when when we talk about Christmas. I want to feel good. Well, perhaps perhaps we should ask a clergy who has done exactly <laughs> that. Bonnie. I was just going to say, are you talking about my church, Alan? How dare you, Bonnie? <laughs> how dare you make me feel feelings other than longing for chestnuts on the fire yes how well, dare you make me think deeply about christmas we have trump to thank for the need to politicize christmas this year um i know at at my church at parkside community church in sacramento uh back in july we actually set up a nativity scene we borrowed a crush from another ucc church in the bay area and uh, my co-pastor, uh, Reverend Elizabeth Griswold, she she came across this idea, like, why not set up our nativity scenes and use our own story to illustrate what is happening at the border? So we did. And Raj was like the chief architect of the design of um, chicken wire cages and two by four framing and we put Mary and Joseph in one chicken wire cage and then the baby Jesus, the vulnerable baby Jesus in another one separated by about four feet, maybe five feet of space. And then <laughs> we had one of our youth paint the sign that said, um, seeking asylum in America today. So uh, 
you I know, didn't know Raj built that. He did. He, he, I've seen other churches like use a dog cage with Jesus and that's it. But like this, when you drive by your, your church, it's like, holy crap. Like it's massive. It's a statement. And it happened in the middle of summer of all things. Exactly. And then we, we added another sign, which actually kept track of how many children remained separated from their families at the hands of our government. Um, and we are now down to 126 children out, out of, I think it was about 2,200 or something uh, at the first count back in May and, or, or back in July. And these children are likely never going to be reunited with their families because either the government lost track of who their, where their families are, or um, they have, it with some coercive way, um, had folks sign over parental rights in order to protect themselves in some way. And in a most recent unfortunate issue, having one, one dumb one die. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's our role as churches, I think, as spiritual communities to use our stories to highlight evil that is happening in the world and to call it evil and to um, empower and mobilize people to do something about it. I don't know. Is there anything else we need to say, I guess? <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. right. And and we forget the very nature of, of the gospel is, I mean, we've said this on the show before, but it is political. Like the story of Jesus has many political figures involved in the narrative. You have Herod, you have Caesar, you have a census, you have a whole political infrastructure surrounding the story of Jesus. Well, I think one of the things that's so absurd about this conversation is, you know, recently Ammon Bundy of armed standoff fame came out in support of the migrants, people seeking asylum. And part of what he talked about, he was like, as a Christian, Jesus and Mary and Joseph had to flee. They had to flee a dangerous situation. They were seeking asylum. And he, I was like, what is happening right now? Um, and I don't know, honestly, that much about Ammon Bundy or his philosophy. But the fact that one of these pretty right-wing militia-type figures, public figures, can identify the horrific treatment and really the unchristian treatment of people by the current president and uh, supported by a lot of evangelicals, I think just underscores the absurdity of behaving like this and even trying to claim Christianity as your faith. I recently, um, I, you know, I don't preach hellfire, right? That's um, something that we all promise to walk away from when we leave evangelicalism. Me only um, a little bit. <laughs> um, but recently, I remember standing um, at a board of supervisors meeting here in Placer County and basically uh, looking at – so Placer County is thinking about um, trying to prevent – uh, California from being a sanctuary state, right? They want to sue the state for being a sanctuary state. And I remember looking at one of the, the, um, the, the trustees or whatever and saying, you're an abomination. Like your behavior towards these immigrants, towards people who are trying to seek safety, um, your prevention of that, your willingness to be complicit in this behavior is deplorable. 
Um, and, and I don't just say that, but God says it. And I just started quoting scripture about welcoming the orphan and the widow. And that felt really good. You know, like it was such a different place than where I had been before, where we're using this to, to, um, hurt people or to coerce them into coming into a faith that, that is so manipulative, but, but to stand in front of power and to quote scripture, to stand in front of people who, who, um, who need to hear this, uh, was, it was really different and beautiful. Like Jeff said, the nature of you're saying scripture, the nature of the gospel is a political stance toward power. And it's not just that there were political figures in the story, although there were, and there's all sorts of dimensions to that. Like the very opening of the gospel is an affront to Caesar, to empire. You look at the, just to give a little bit of like details, if you're going to talk to your family about this as a listener, you can talk about the pre-NA inscription. There's a calendar inscription that talks about Caesar Augustus, and it starts out with, uh, this is actually super important for me, and this kind of grounds why I do political acts and why I think Casey's totally on point to speak to power from a place of faith. Uh, the Gospel of Caesar Augustus, it says, Providence, which has ordered all things, is deeply interested in our life and has sent set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled with virtue that he might benefit humankind, sending him as a savior. This is before Jesus was born. The language is almost exactly the same as the opening of Mark, which is our earliest gospel. Caesar Augustus is the Soter. It's the same thing it says in Mark. Jesus is the Savior. And then it even says um, Caesar. Let's see here. So he's he, he uh, setting him as a Savior both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, right, it's the epiphany of Caesar, um, since the birthday of the God Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. So all of this language that we hear in the, the friggin nativity, like the birth of Jesus in the gospel is a direct political statement. So for someone to sit up there and say, Hey, Parkside, how dare you politicize the gospel? It's like (laughs) the very first word of the gospel is political. Like there is no gospel without politics. There is no gospel in the Bible without politics. It's a direct quote to something that was understood by Roman readers. Absolutely. And, and Christmas itself, right? Like December 25, choosing, uh, that day as the day for when we will commemorate the nativity story. Before it was politicized, it was paganized. And that in and of itself was a political move <laughs> by empire. I mean, like there's people who talk about not politicizing Christmas, it's like, do they, are they reading history at all? Like, is there any understanding of where Christmas even comes from? No, I don't think, I don't think so. And and that's why <laughs> they talk the stupid crap they talk. And so the question is, if Jesus comes as the real savior, the real gospel for the world, what the hell is that gospel? Like, rather than Roman Pax Romana, there's going to be peace on earth through domination and might. It's like, no, there's these angels singing over this impoverished baby, peace on earth and goodwill toward people. The most Christian thing you could have done is separate Jesus from Mary and Joseph in the nativity scene, because it illustrates that that gospel has not been realized in our world. There is not peace on earth and not even goodwill toward people who are suffering. 
That's right. Because goodwill wouldn't let someone die of malnutrition, wouldn't separate children from their parents and have psychological scars for the rest of their life. Goodwill is like, why did you put everything you own in a trash bag and travel so many miles to come to this country? There's a poet. Um, her name is Warsan Shire, and she was Somali-born. She's a Somali-British poet. And she said, you have to understand no one puts their children in a boat unless the water is safer than the land. And we're failing to even have a good posture toward people to like think in empathetic terms. Why are they here? Like, what are they fleeing? What are they doing? I, yeah, Alan, I totally, yeah, that's, that's a really powerful quote. (laughs) Um, for me, I just, I'm at a place where I, I cannot hear people talk about their family values. Their deep-rooted family values and their pro-life narrative, when they are allowing children to die on the border, when they are okay with families being separated and their children locked in cages, I'm over it. I'm over it. I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear about your family values when you continue to uh, support candidates and people who would put their that allow for children to be put in cages and allow for mothers to be stripped from their children. I I don't want to hear about your pro-life narrative when you continue to uh, support war all over the world and a lot and a lot of these wars um that that we're not necessarily in are still funded by us that send people running and fleeing from their home countries. I don't want to hear it. When you are more worried about a fetus than you are actual children, children that we can like actually talk to who are crying and starving, do not talk to me about pro-life. Do not talk to me about it. And the pushback would be they did this to themselves. It's their fault. They're, they put us in the position of having to separate them from their kids and and what you're saying, Casey, is is true. No, there are orchestrated situations like they're in the place they're at because of leadership that, frankly, our country has supported and has funded and has created situations where they have to flee violence or economic, like horrific famine and and poverty. Well, you know, as as an immigrant, um you know, that rhetoric is really interesting because a lot of the people who talk that rhetoric, their families came fleeing something. And it's like, you know, you get out and then you go back to whatever your home country is or whatever you can trace on 23andMe and then talk about it from there. You know, do your best to get by. Now, if you, you know, my family came for opportunity. We weren't fleeing anything. You know, once they opened stuff up for, for India and Southeast Asia, um, I mean, we all know the immigration policy in this country is historically racist, um, but over it's time, racist and it's racist right now. Uh, o- I over mean, time, it's softened to different parts of the world. And my, I'll tell you what, Indians, you let us in. We're coming. <laughs> you know, we're, we're coming. Uh, and we're going to buy stuff and own stuff and and educate our kids, et cetera. Anyway, before, um, wait, before you continue, I think that's actually an important point. There are countries in the world you cannot come here unless you have ten thousand dollars in your bank account. Right. Right. And so it's I, racist. my my immigrant experience is not the same as what folks on the border are experiencing, what the Irish experienced when they were fleeing famine um, and, and what other European groups were facing when they were fleeing persecution and so on. 
I can go back home. You know, where where home is, the roots, my, my family roots are, you know, it's fine. Um, so this was an option, but it, it, it's just bizarre how some people who their own family history in this country was also a similar flight from persecution, starvation, uh, and uprooting yourself at great peril. Well, um, not, not only that, but the basis of American Christianity is to have the freedom to practice your t- type of Christianity is the colonies, like America's founding sure. on – your whatever version of Christianity to 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 be safe, and not only that, but aside from the whole the the race issue of it, it's the class issue of it. Like, there's a reason that that Jesus was in a manger. There's a reason that Jesus and his family had no place to stay. Like, it was an economic one. And our immigration policy is we're going to be friendly to Saudi Arabia, who will chop up a reporter. And do whatever we can to justify that because, you know, we don't want to give up that billions and billions and billions of dollars, but we're not going to – and who have been like literally tied to 9-11. Instead, we're going to take that rhetoric of 9-11 and attach it to some some poor family who's trying to escape uh, – uh, a, a gang who's hurting them or an abusive relationship or an abusive economic system where they don't have anything else. And then they're going to come to our border legally to seek asylum. And then we're going to tear gas them. Like, come on, d- d- don't, don't no, Stop it. Stop using and, that kind of rhetoric. And when you talk about, um, you know, um, what are they going to do with this? Right. Uh, Alan, you were talking earlier, you know what? Um, it's their fault, right? Um, it's their choices. Right. Um, I mean, we just go right back to Scripture. Jesus, who sinned, the blind man or his family? And Jesus responds with, neither, you dope, but this is for the glory of God, right? I mean, um, and and how do we get to a point of seeing immigrants as blessing? How do we begin to widen our table and allow people to um, to be seen as blessing and valued um, instead of burden and um, burden, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it is a matter of perception. I mean, actual terrorists will let their money in. We will let their money in, right? So you're talking about Saudi Arabia. But we will talk about – I mean, our own president said they had arrested 10 terrorists at the border or whatever, it's which not is not true. true. It's not true at all. There is no, like, backing to that. But we will – we'll take your money. We'll take literal terrorists' connections – but we will turn away refugees and call them possible terrorists, call them possible drug dealers and stuff, and, and rather than seeing them as the real blessing, I would rather take a, a you know hundreds of thousands of people fleeing desperation than take hundreds of millions of money from somebody who is frankly evil. And that's where the Christmas story is so powerful. Mm-hmm. How do we see immigrants and refugees as blessing? We look at our own holy family and we see in every single refugee family crossing the border, a holy family coming, seeking refuge, fleeing violence. So what the hell is the story for? What is it for if it's not for that? That's what I want to talk about, because the option is I want to hear from you all. What would a non-political gospel look like and who does that serve? King Herod. Is it right? If you take the politics out of Christmas, it's I mean, one of the things that all these things kind of divert us from is talking about commercialism at Christmas. I mean, you want to get to the core of it, like you talked about, Alan, we'll take Saudi money. You know, go shopping. You know, we've just been attacked by 
by terrorists, legit terrorists, 9-11. You know, what does the president say? Everybody get back out there, go shopping, put money into the economy. What? I mean, that's that's the American way, right? It is. And that's Isn't the American that gospel. Right. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's awful. It's a way to numb oneself from the realities of what is in the world. And uh, when you bring stories like the nativity story to light, then folks are they're confronted with having to see themselves in the story. And if you have to see yourself in the story, you may have to identify with the evil powers in the story rather than the lowly and the, the, the refugee family seeking asylum. So, so you're saying a non-political Christmas is numbing. It numbs everyone. It numbs everyone. Non, non-political Christmas. The slogan is stay in your place. I, I mean, but that's, that's the idea of the gospel, the non-political gospel also, right? I mean, this is why there are so many big box churches where you, they stand up there and make everyone feel good on Sunday morning. They sing a few beautiful songs and w- never confront the truth of their lives and the privilege they hold. They just, they, it's narcotization. No, they celebrate Come the privilege. In, feel they... good, drink coffee and give us your money. They celebrate the privilege and then call it blessing. That's I right. Don't, I don't think it's a privilege. I, I think it's it's a sadness. It's it's a it's an addiction. I mean, we can talk about uh, privilege, you know, having stuff as privilege. But I mean, it's if if you're not really alive, living this life, how is that privilege? Well, I, I want Casey. Did you did you coin that a big box church, or did you get no. that from somewhere? I'm I'm sure I found it somewhere. I've used it for a long time. Just yeah, big well, box I, I think that's that's uh, put it out in quotes and add Reverend Tenen to that. But <laughs> I mean, to me, that that says so much. That speaks volumes. That imagery, the big box church. I think that's the crux of it. I want a big. I want a big box Christmas. Bonnie, I want to go back to what you're saying about privilege. Um, right. I mean, who is privileged, right? Um, and the narcotization of those in these big box churches and these mega churches, um, evangelicals. <laughs> like, I hear you, but I also want to say privilege allows them not to talk about it, right? So, um, so when, when LGBT people come into worship, it's almost like dog whistles. They have to listen clearly for this message that tells them that they're not welcome because they're not, they're not actually going to say it out loud in these big box churches. And so when LGBT people, the people that I know who come in and talk to their friends and say, well, would I be welcome at your church? And the response is, well, I think so. They say everyone is welcome. It's that narcotization, the the unwillingness to have to hear anything than what you want to hear um, that I think evokes that sort of privilege. Right. And ignoring the fact that someone from that place of power saying not to politicize Christmas is a political move politicizing Christmas. It absolutely right. is. And and That's and the, the numbing irony. and the numbing of people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's a weaponization of Christmas, honestly. To tell certain people groups you're not allowed to do with Christmas what the the gospel does. It's like you're taking away the power of the gospel to actually liberate people. And it it can only be done from a position of like dominance, which is I, I totally hear what you're saying on that, Casey. All right. Well, th- this turned into maybe a little bit more than a mini conversation, but that's good because there's a lot to talk <laughs> about here. And we have a lot of voices to balance now, which is exciting and wonderful. Um, so if you want to be 
you know, marry and and work in the Christmas spirit, then challenge someone in authority this holiday season. <laughs> <laughs> yes, while wearing while wearing Christmas attire. That's right. Yes. That's Preferably right. A, an ugly Christmas sweater. Ugly Christmas sweater. Yeah. So add your particular voice to this conversation. You can do that at the show notes at irenacast.com slash 132 or on the Facebook post associated with this episode. And we are going to finish this episode with some uh, Christmas fun. We're, we're going to have we're going to do a little bit of a, a holiday segment so you can kind of get to know everyone. And uh, then we hope that whatever you celebrate and whatever you're celebrating, wherever you're celebrating at. Uh, that it's a good one, and we are excited, and hopefully you are too, about the continued future of Irenicast. So on the other side of the music, we are going to have some holiday shenanigans. So we're going to end this episode with a segment, and uh, since we were all... Not we're all new here, but we have some new co-hosts with us, and we want to start the the train of getting to know everyone. Uh, we're all going to share just our favorite Christmas tradition, something that we do and partake in every year. Uh, right now, it could be you know it could have changed over the years, obviously, since we're all coming from fundamentalist backgrounds. But uh, we're just gonna we're gonna share our favorite cr- Christmas traditions, and uh, and we say Christmas because you know we are a progressive Christian podcast. I I default towards holiday just because it's it's easier and we all know what we're talking about so don't get hung up on our our terminology and we do appreciate other holidays we do for sure for sure but like we said like we said in the last segment this is our story this is our language and you know we're we're not going to impose it on anyone but we're proud of it to a certain extent i guess so (laughs) bonnie let's start with you what is your favorite christmas tradition well, um, yeah, you mentioned Chris- Christmas traditions have changed, and for sure they've changed in, in my family's life. Um, I was mentioning earlier that at one time I, you know, put the Christ in Christmas so much that the passion showed up on our tree because we we used to hang an ornament on our tree that resembled a nail that you would you would actually use to um, crucify somebody. So that. That has changed. No That's longer epic. do I have. Yeah, I know. And, you know, here I, I, you know, mentioned in previous episode about raising children through that shift, that faith shift. And I can still remember, you know, my kids like asking about that and explaining what it was about. And I'm, I'm happy to say that that my Christmas tree just has really like flashy ornaments of all kinds and some wonderful ornaments from across the years, but nothing that resembles the passion of Christ whatsoever. Um, and what we're doing this year, I think, is going to, going to become a favorite tradition. We're making homemade gifts for one another. And the rules are you have to buy as little as you can to make yes. this gift. So everyone's participating in this tradition, and it'll be fun to see what shows up. I'm having so much fun making gifts. Nice. I like that. Are we not going to talk about the 12 foot nutcracker behind you statue? No, because <laughs> listeners can't see that. And <laughs> we're, we'd so ostracize those listening. <laughs> we got these two six foot nutcrackers from Michael's. Um, and my, my younger son figured out a way to go online and get like a 50% discount. And we were like, done, let's just do this. <laughs> and they're, they're awesome. And we painted one brown. 
<laughs> I think that's awesome. So it would reflect uh, actually more more caramel, as my boys say. They're they're caramel mochiato um, to to reflect them, and the other ones, you know, pretty white and pasty. Nice. Uh, the, the original. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Raj. I mean, I don't. I don't know. Did we? Can we? Like, do you still have a Christmas tradition? I guess it was. I I didn't think it through yeah. when we talked about well, like. No, it, it uh, as far as tradition goes for Christmas, it's food. I mean, ah. holidays for for me growing up in particular, and in in my current family after getting partnered and having kids, food is like a big deal. Um, growing up, uh, we had a huge family get together. You know, all, a bunch of family immigrated to the Washington D.C. area from India in the early seventies, and we did pretty much everything outside of work and school together uh, on, on the weekends growing up. So Christmas was huge. We would sometimes rent a park and rec building. Um, yeah, there was 300 people there and just big vats of curry and rice, um, biryani, which is kind of a big deal. Um, and you just gorge all day. The kids would go outside and play some football, get a little hungry, come back in and eat more. Uh, and then in in our nuclear family now, food's a big deal. Um, and I tend to like, hey, let's have some rice and curry. And Bonnie's like, no, let's do like a, a French country Christmas this year uh, cuisine. Let's do an Italian meal. I'm like, whatever. Let's just eat. <laughs> so but food, food is still really central for me because that that's the time when everyone sits down together. We talk, we listen to each other and um uh, put some intention into what we're making because we we tend to be so busy that we kind of eat out of eat out of the refrigerator a lot. I like it. It's good, Casey. How about you? So I have a new tradition as well, um, and this comes from my partner Jose's family. Uh, a few years ago, I was invited to Jose's dad's family Christmas Eve celebration, and there are twelve siblings, so there were a lot, a lot of people. But at midnight, they all gathered around in the in the living room and started singing these songs in Spanish. I had no idea what was going on. Um, and baby Jesus was not in the manger. He had been hiding for, you know, all of Advent. And they bring baby Jesus out and they parade him around the room and sing these songs. Well, Jose knows that this is coming and hid in the bathroom. <laughs> and so here I am, the only other family member from Jose's family except for his dad. He and I are standing there and we're singing these songs. Again, I don't know what's being said. I'm just smiling awkwardly and everyone's looking at me like, who is this guy? You know, um, but I loved this taking baby Jesus out of the manger and l hiding him until Christmas Eve, you know. And so this year when I set up my nativity, I hid baby Jesus and Jose said, if you expect me to sing those songs on Christmas Eve, it's not happening. So we won't sing the songs, but we definitely hid baby Jesus. And anybody that comes into the house asks, you know, where is Jesus? And we get to talk about that, that we're in Advent and we're still waiting. So I don't know. I know it's kind of silly, but it's really meaningful to integrate his family traditions into our family together. And I think it's cool. So. I like the pageantry of that, of parading yeah, Jesus. That's around. Me really too. Cool. I that's I really would cool. love to parade Jesus around. Yeah. I was picturing like the end of like a like a sports game where you lift the whoever got the last like point up and you're like yeah, 
that you're well they actually so they go around and like kiss jesus's feet and that's what oh. really freaks jesus or freaks jose out is he's like this is not for me you should this is uh, like you should pour gatorade on him right like <laughs> that's right that's right <laughs> i think that's really cool yeah, it is super cool. And when apparently when Jose was young, they would all decorate, or I mean, they would all dress up the aunts and uncles like wise people and like and and shepherds and knock on the door and then come in individually. So it was like a big thing for the kids, you know. And now these kids are in their twenties and nobody wants to do it. And I really like I feel sad about that, you know, um, because it's cool. I think it's super cool. We didn't. I didn't grow up in a family that did anything like that you know so just trying to keep some of that for for him and for us we should do that we should and wear special hats <laughs> <laughs> alan what is your favorite what, christmas tradition what comes to mind for me um every year since i was a little kid we make little uh english muffin pizzas on christmas eve there's a bar out with like all the different cheeses and meats and different things and everybody makes their own little pizzas and then they put them all in at the same time and uh, that's that's what comes to mind is one of my favorites. It's not Christmas unless you have little English muffin pizzas. Just don't put eggplant um, on it. You'll piss Roz right off. <laughs> it ceases right. to be pizza at that point. But my my like so that's that's the most uh, dominant tradition. But what come what really comes to mind for me? My favorite thing as a kid was every single year my uncle would take a shower quote unquote and by the way spoiler spoiler you should alert. finish before you just pause right there with your own. <laughs> he's got okay. air quotes no, no, around no. shower which is creepy so i was gonna say spoiler alert uh santa claus is real but he died a long time ago and as far as i know he doesn't haunt anyone's houses maybe he does yours but my uncle would go like take a shower and you would hear reindeer on the roof like he would go up there and take a hammer and hit the hit the ceiling. And then we would like go out and look in the sky and they'd be like, Do you see Santa Claus? And we'd be like, Yeah, I see him. You know, those little kids. And then he'd come down after everything was done, like drying his hair, and we'd be like, Oh, you missed Santa Claus. And it was the same uncle every single year at the same time, and I never caught on. So that was my favorite Christmas tradition. And yeah, next time I'll try to hurry up and finish my I have a bad habit of not finishing my story on really like unfortunate pauses yeah where everybody's waiting where the you always qualify something go. right after something that really needs <laughs> way more qualification <laughs> how about you jeff um i uh for us it's always like the day after thanksgiving is like the official start for us so the day after thanksgiving before my daughters were born my wife and i would each watch our favorite christmas movie uh for me it was die hard and then uh, for my wife, it's the Arnold Schwarzenegger's Jingle All the Way. Such a good movie. Uh, but since we've had our daughters, you know, die hard. They're not ready for that yet. Maybe next year. Um, <laughs> no, they'll be six next year. They won't be ready for that. Uh, so this year it was it was Elf and Jingle All the Way. And uh, it was – that's that's my favorite thing because then like we also like while we're watching, we're – if we have our tree, then we'll decorate the tree. But if not, then we'll we'll be putting like the house decorations up, you know, like the stockings and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of our 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 Christmas tradition that I think is is fun. And then you've done that every year I've known you. Yeah, every year, every year, every since I've been it married, does feel special. Um, I mean, we haven't always done it on that day, but uh, like on the day after Thanksgiving. But we try to because sometimes you know when you have. When you're first married, you got to do both families and go back and forth and all that kind of stuff. But whenever we do our first 
official Christmas decorating act. It's always while the movies are on in the background. And uh, I look forward to the day where Die Hard is reinstituted and uh, I can enjoy that with my. <laughs> isn't, isn't Nightmare Before Christmas the best Christmas Ooh, movie ever? That's a good. Let's no. fight about that. That's Jose, Jose would tell you that is. It's so that good. is the totally. best. Also, Jeff, does your does your mother in law still make like the rhubarb pie or what, what did she make? Boysenberry. Something she makes amazing. huckleberry pies. Huckleberry, but that's not does like a Christmas that? thing. That's just around. Like that's oh. just all the time. We and should then, all get one for Christmas. I think so. Does she still make them? <laughs> yeah, she, she still should makes make them. some. Yeah, I like cast ones. She that's actually that's that's like a family tradition that the girls uh, that Cat's mom has for her family is like every August because they do like a family reunion up in Big Sur and then they all go. Uh, uh, huckleberry picking and then um so the girls got to do that for the first time this year with well with mom if you're listening um i'm requesting an official pie for the podcast and we'll split it please I'll, make one it's I'll so ship good. it to you <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know if she'll be listening um <laughs> uh so so yeah that's 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 what we do and uh and then food obviously raj i'm right there with you like thanksgiving is our turkey meal and then christmas has has turned into our uh prime rib roast meal and uh, I I love to cook. Those are my two favorite meals to cook throughout the year. So that is our Christmas traditions. Uh, so everyone who's listening, we'd love to hear your favorite Christmas traditions or holiday traditions or whatever whatever the holidays have morphed into for you and yours. As if you've gone through your journey of deconstruction and reconstruction, or you're still in the midst of deconstruction or whatever, let or, us know. Or how you're going to politicize Christmas this year. Yes. We'll celebrate with you. That's right. Phil, right now, I mean, we're, we're still working on it, but right now, the best way to like interact as, as, as listeners, you can do it on the show notes, but I know not a lot of people go that way. Um, but right now, when we post each episode on Facebook, we have a lot of engagement there. So follow us on Facebook. If you're not in Facebook, send us an email. All that information is in the show notes at renacast.com slash 132. And I think that will do it for us this week. Everyone, I'm very excited about our movement forward and um, any any final like holiday wishes for our listeners from each of you. Alan, go. We'll start with you. For our listeners? Yeah. Putting me on the spot. Honestly, I got I one. Just, I got no, one. No, no, I, I got it. I got it. Here we go. I would just say um, I I really hope that you you find someone, some sort of relationship or some sort of friendship or connection that makes you feel alive this this holiday season. May your hearts be fuller than your stockings. Aww. That was so good. And not with coal. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Raj, how about you? Uh, don't drink alone. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Mine is just plain, old, simple. Merry Christmas. That's right. I like that. And embrace yourself. And if you are at holiday gatherings where people don't embrace you, then just get the hell out of there and go <laughs> where people <Everyone's> nodding. <laughs> where go where people love you for who you are. And if you don't have that place, then uh message us. Message us. And, and we'll drink with you. And we'll we'll, right. we'll don't drink we'll, alone. Especially maybe we'll maybe Raj we'll do like a to drink with all of our listeners. <laughs> yes. We'll do a Facebook live, whatever. We'll do something. Um so let us know and uh to all of us for all of us I love to say we can say that now. All of us here at Irenacast have a wonderful Christmas, holiday, all that kind of stuff. Don't forget to subscribe to the show and never miss an episode as we move forward into an exciting 2019 where it's available on all other major podcasting platforms. 
Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, and many more, and Pandora soon to come in 2019, which is awesome. And while you're there, if your platform allows it, leave us a rating and or review. We're always looking for more and more ways to hear from you. Uh, and you can also fill out our listener survey. Uh, give us the gift of your personal information. <laughs> it's super helpful <laughs> for us uh, as we continue to evolve the show. That's wow. at irenacast.com slash survey. So for this year, for this era of Irenicast. I'm Jeff. I'm Alan. I'm Raj. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Casey. And together we're Captain Planet. <laughs> <laughs> or Voltron or Power Rangers. Our one powers <laughs> Thanks for joining the conversation. 